0: Hey everyone, welcome to Ideology, a podcast where we seek to explore the ideas and belief systems that give rise to the contours of modern society. Our prayer is that you would be equipped to be a faithful follower of Jesus amid the complexity of our culture. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode.
1: All right, everybody, welcome to Ideology. My name is Destiny Gonzalez, I'm here with The one and only Mick Murray and Fadi Salem.
0: Yes, it's nice to have a change of pace, different, some different voices on the podcast. Uh, Drew is finishing up his master's this week, and so I pulled in Destiny and Fadi to help me out. They are also on staff here at Antioch in a variety of capacities. Destiny, what do you do around here?
1: I run all of our events and services, so my role specifically as corporate producer means kind of a variety of things. Awesome. And
2: Fadi? I am the videographer, so I do all things video and work with other content within the church.
0: Yeah, and longtime listeners of the show will recognize Fadi for making multiple cameos uh, <laughs> in the middle of our recordings. We record sometimes in the video suite, and Fadi, being the videographer, is often in and out of the room. And so you'll hear him at the end of episodes and our, our impromptu dialogues.
2: I'm just a crazy fan. I just really want to see what Mitt Kendra are doing
0: right. So I figured with Drew's absence, I had to pull in Fadi, and then Destiny not only produces around here but is a deep thinker, and we meet in a small leadership group and thought it'd be great to bring her in as well to get some various perspectives. So today we are going to take a little bit of a break from some of the headiness. Uh, Drew's been pre- prepping a lot of the content over the past several months as he's finishing up his Masters in Theological Studies at Truett. And he's bringing a lot of the concepts into the podcast that he's been learning about from habitus and social liturgy and so on. Uh, today, though, I want to kind of bring us back to the original intent of this podcast, which is in our tagline, and that's to equip the church, the body of Christ, to be faithful to Jesus in in this hour, which is uh, a very complex hour, even as uh, we record this. This, was, this will be released later, but you know, it's the day after the the shooting uh, in the school here in Texas, just an unspeakable unspeakable horror and you know, and there's so many things that are swirling with Russia and Ukraine and elections and you know, it's easy to get caught up in the the chaos and the complexity of, uh, of the hour in which we live, not to mention just all the underlying ideological currents that we're that we're swimming in. And I want to pause today, and the, the title of the talk today, the episode is Seven Keys, The Seven Keys to Spiritual Formation. And I want to offer this in something of a dialogical format with Fadi and Destiny, just to encourage our listeners in a, in a more practical way. We've done a couple of these episodes in the past where we talk about being biblically formed back in our first season, but to offer some practical thoughts for how do we move forward as followers of Jesus in the day and hour in which we live. So I'd like to start, and I, I didn't prep Fadi and Destiny with with much, and so a lot of this is going to be impromptu here. But as you guys, you guys are, are both in your 20s, is that right? Yeah. So I think one of the trends that Drew and I were seeing that provided the initiative for this podcast was a lot of people in their 20s and 30s, which is the bulk of the listeners for this podcast, uh, really struggling through COVID, through some of, again, the ideological warfare and just all the things uh, that are coming at us in our culture and the, the racial tensions and so on and so forth. What have you guys observed as trends among the believers, specifically the believers among your demographic, your age group, over the past couple of years? And I'm talking about specifically earnest believers who would really identify with Jesus. What have you seen are some of the trends among your peers?
1: I think there is a desire to respond but i think that there's just a lack of how like i think i could have conversations with my life group or my friends with our coworkers of like man we want to respond but we really just don't know how and i think because in our minds it feels like there's a social justice movement or there's there's the cultural response and then there's the church and we don't actually know how The two are supposed to be one, which obviously the church is not supposed to look like the world. That's not what we're going for. But how do we live in a world and bring the church into it, or how do we bring Jesus into this cultural crisis? And I think it just causes a lot of inaction, or it causes just a lot of confusion. Of do I jump in? Do I kind of respond in a secular way, or just in the way that the world is going? Or do I just kind of do nothing because I don't actually know what to do? That's what I would say. I feel like is the most common response.
0: So that's you know that's been a tension, a point of confusion for people. How has that manifested? Has that has that shaken people and their faith and their commitment to the, the body of Christ? I, I don't know what has been the result of that tension.
1: Yeah, I think. I see a lot of my college friends that we were running together, it feels like, in college and now some of them aren't following Jesus or they just don't really know how they feel about the church anymore and there's such a confusion of how do we respond or I think the question arises of like, does the church even care? Things are arising that are causing discomfort and we should be shaken by these things but the church should be able to respond and when it when that hasn't happened, I feel like people are just like, okay, well maybe this isn't the way actually I need to go, this other route. And so yeah, I would say people who really do love Jesus but just are being heavily influenced by the voices that feel louder in the world starting to go a different direction. And so maybe not following Jesus anymore or not going to the church or going to church anymore. And I think the church difference being church Big C body of Christ or church the institution, I think a lot of people are pulling away specifically from the institution, which then obviously leads to straying away from Jesus or not walking with Jesus anymore because you're not with the body of believers. But I think the like physical building organization, a lot of more people are pulling away from that.
0: Yeah, that's quite a statement. And Drew and I have touched on this a lot, but that's potentially not controversial, but that's a hot button statement that you just made that I would agree with wholeheartedly, but that to pull away from the body of Christ is to pull away from Jesus himself. And that, that would be hotly contested among even many of our listeners, I would imagine. You know, Drew and I, we again, we've uh, we can identify and understand the pain uh, that would drive somebody to want to pull away from the church and, and all the dysfunction. Uh, and at the same time, uh, that Jesus so intimately identifies himself with his body that when he confronts Saul on the road to Damascus, he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me and so I was like, "Who are you?" And he's like, "I'm, I'm Jesus." And as you have persecuted, basically my people, you've been persecuting me. And that that's uh, a deeply profound doctrinal point of a distinction, I think, for our generation. That obviously there's a just tremendous amount of complexity in how that gets fleshed out. When you talk about the institutional church versus maybe the broader Big C Church, uh, Body of Christ. But that's you know we've done several episodes on. Uh, really defending you know participation in the body of Christ. And so just wanted to you said that so casually, yet that is probably not a universally held, you know, sentiment. Not probably that is not a universal universally held sentiment among your generation. Fadi, what, what about you? What have you seen in terms of trends among your peers?
2: Um yeah, I think I was having this conversation with Vincent Carpenter a couple days ago. But when I think about my generation, people who who are my age younger? I I'm finding that people are just subscribing to what gives them the most hope, and once they do that, I'm seeing that like a lot of them are just kind of going kind of closer and closer to that extreme. So the majority of the people that are my age that I am in communication with, still have a relationship with, probably like eighty to ninety percent of them find themselves on the left side of the aisle. Um, and the one, and I'm talking about people who follow Jesus, and then maybe you like. Mean, you're speaking specifically of politics there. In politics, life. yeah. Um, and, you know, when I think about politics and I think about the church, when it comes to my generation, the two just go hand in hand. Like, there is no separation, I feel like, anymore. Because when people make a comment about something or post about something, oftentimes they are, the lens that they're like speaking through is their political stance is what it's been feeling like and i don't feel necessarily any middle ground anymore with a majority of the people my age even those who are following jesus and so the trends that i'm seeing are people just like kind of pulling away from sound doctrine on left and right to subscribe to a two-party system that is like continuing to fail the world but like more so like gen z and gen alpha because we're just kind of getting sold this philosophy of how this nation should should or shouldn't run by two parties who are like completely agenda driven and i mean i like woke up this morning and was reading some tweets and on both sides and i'm like "We, we, we, there's like so many kids just died and we're talking about laws like on a public platform which is like as a nation should we be more concerned with swinging you know left or right Or are we more concerned with the children who died? And so it's just like that simple like reality of like, hey, children are are gone is overshadowed by an agenda. And I think that people my age are more bought into that because that seems like that's going to give them the most hope, a law that's going to be changed. And so they see that as okay morally. And I don't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're describing a reality today where there's very little that's pre-political anymore historically you know the church or the family were considered pre-political entities where politics didn't reach into those domains but carl truman we've referenced his book the rise and triumph of the modern self he does a great expose on that phenomenon that there is nothing that is or, or there are fewer and fewer things that are pre-political anymore and he i'm not going to get into it here in this podcast he does a great job of kind of diagnosing that and and backtracking philosophically how did we get there but that's that is noteworthy and actually plays into you guys teed up well where we're going today because in, in my experience now doing discipleship schools, which are it's a program for spiritual formation here at our local church for better part of sixteen years now, just noticing some trends of those who have longevity in the Lord and those who don't. Our church here has uh, an expression that is more outward in terms of our forms of worship and so on. And so it, it can appear at any given time, like, man, there's so many people who are just sold out, you know, bought in. And yet I look around even just six months later after a discipleship school graduates or a year later or two or five years later, and some of those individuals are either, you know, they've plateaued in their faith or they've walked away from Jesus altogether. And you're like, what, how did... So quickly, how did somebody's faith get shipwrecked? And I think it's some of these influences—influences influences that you're describing, either the political influences or some of the social influences—and uh, you know, you talk about social justice issues, destiny, and these are in our face in just about every way today. And compelling. Uh, again, I think of the coddling of the American mind, Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff. And again, definitely recommend that book as well. But when, when we pan back, there are so many influences that are shaping us. And I think because these are such strong influences and we have so many medium. you talk about waking up this morning, Fadi, and reading tweets. I don't, I haven't been on Twitter in like 10 years, but I would imagine, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people today, 20-somethings, 30-somethings, you even talked about Gen Alpha. if That's a new term for our listeners. That would be the generation coming up behind Gen Z, what my kid's generation, I would imagine. Um you know, so many, so many inputs, so many channels of opinions, and, and often extremely strongly felt opinions. Very polarizing. Again, with very few things being pre-political anymore. So, what would you guys say before we get into the seven keys of spiritual formation? What would you guys say are the primary ways people are formed? And and I just to give a tip of the hat to Dallas Willard and uh, Mark Sayers and John Tyson and John Mark Comer. This language I've largely adopted from them. They've helped me to kind of codify our working theory of how people change. So if you're interested in what we're about to talk about, you can certainly look them up as well. But yeah, what what would you guys say are the primary ways? I'm just thinking sociologically, don't even think spiritually here for a moment, but how are people formed? Because all of us are being formed all the time. Whether we think we are disciples or not, every person on the planet is a disciple, meaning student. We are all being shaped and formed. And that's been a huge theme in this podcast, uh, the fact that we are socially formed, which we'll expound on here in a moment, just gave away one thought. But uh, how, how are people formed? What are the main forces that somebody's going to encounter throughout their life that are shaping them?
1: I think first thing, your family. So even as I've gotten older, I'm realizing just beliefs that my family had and starting to wonder, like, do I really believe that? Or that's just so ingrained in me because it's something that I was taught from the very beginning so obviously our families and even just our social circles that we choose as you grow up it's chosen for you maybe or it's it is your family but then as you get older your friend groups your coworkers, workers your the people that you're at the gym with whatever it is but this the social circles that you put yourself in
0: it's great absolutely yeah what else
2: i think for me <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind was social media i mean i was on tiktok like four months ago and someone like gave advice on a skincare routine and then I went and bought every product and <laughs> it's it's like it's it's funny to think about but it's that's kind of part of who I am now like I go to like before I go to sleep I like do this whole routine and when I wake up I do the same thing and I've discipled myself to do this every morning and every night because of something that I saw on social well, media working you have fantastic skin thank Bob. you thank you I wish our listeners good could- yeah, I can send you actually the TikTok video. Uh, that it so it's just like, I mean, even waking up in the morning, like my mind is already thinking about what I think about what other people are thinking. Sure. And I can, you know, wake up, I can either adopt these ideologies or I can just like create my own or mm-hmm. thank God I'm like within a, the context of a church community, which church community is a big driving factor of how I'm spiritually formed, how, who Fadi is. Is a product of being around my church community and church friends.
0: Yep. So, peer people, peers, obviously a huge family of origin, huge shaping influences. And then you touch on, you know, you you just used a word ideology. There's a different word I'm looking for because I would say yes to that, uh, but I think there's a, a a more kind of pedestrian word that would explain that you get on TikTok, you're exposed to this, you know, this ideology about skincare. When you pan back though, there is something coming at us all the time. We are being told a story, a story about the world, a story about what's real, a story about what it means to be human, a story about what it means to be moral or ethical. The narratives, the ideologies that are behind and, and woven into these various forms of media, these are powerfully shaping. And so I don't want that to go unnoticed. So we've got peers or, or just people in general, which include peers, family, fortune. We have stories. And then what about, I, I already used the word environment, but talk about environment even more broadly beyond f- families and peers. What could that mean in terms of its shaping influence? Think about your own upbringings. What what might we mean by environment?
1: Yeah, literally where you grow up. So obviously growing up in the South, I'm going to have a completely different perspective than people who didn't even grow up in America, grew up in the North, just being in the Bible belt, that influencing my upbringing differently
2: um yeah i mean i grew up pretty poor so like i like grew up in an apartment complex that it was like income based and everyone around me was living the same they were living the same experience but when i went to school it was vastly different and a huge part of who i am is because of where i grew up and it's it's obvious when i see other people who grew up similar to me it's like there's a connection that's immediately made versus People who grew up in the suburbs, which there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just like that's the distinction I'm making. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, no, but socioeconomics and class—we're not a classless society as much as we're, we're not India, but we're not a classless society. And and you, you're you're Lebanese ethnically, or at least uh, uh, half Lebanese, half Egyptian. Well,
2: that? I'm fully Egyptian. I was born in Lebanon. Okay, <laughs>
0: so, <laughs> trying to trying to—it's
2: a weird—it's a weird deal.
0: Yeah, no, no, no. But you know, had you been born in Cairo and raised in Cairo. You would have a vastly different worldview mm-hmm. than the fact that that you grew up in Waco, or even growing up in Beirut, or you know, in southern Lebanon, or you know, the environment in which we we're raised obviously is a is a powerfully shaping influence. Awesome. So we've got the people in our lives, we've got our the stories that we're told, we've got the environment in which we grow up, and and there's a lot of different ways to say this, but there's a fourth that I'm looking for, and this one's probably a little less readily apparent in terms of the forces that shape us, but I'll just jump right out there instead of doing it Socratically. And and that is the habits that we form. They become reinforcing. Uh, you even talked about, this is a great example, Fadi. You, you've been discipled by this TikTok video, and now you've formed a new habit. Like you've laid down a new track and you have a new routine, you know, that we all have a pie chart of our lives. We all have 24 hours in a day. And now there's a portion of your day that is dedicated to this new habit, right? and these habits that we form reinforce the, the deeper beliefs. Often, subconsciously, we don't realize the, how the habits that we form are reinforcing. So we've got these four really powerfully shaping influences, the people in our lives, the habits we form, the stories we're told, and the environment in which we live. So if we take that and we talk about spiritual formation, what would be the analogs? What would be the if those are just the natural, and, and there's so much research behind this from psychology to education to sociology, there's nothing new under the sun. But just to jump straight to spiritual formation, what would then be the analog? If those are the powerful, powerfully shaping influences in our life, what do we need as believers to be conscious of, intentional about, in order to continually be formed into the image of Jesus?
1: Um, I think the first thing, would going off of stories that were told, just... Like are the stories that we're being told is that the actual perspective that we're looking at things with or are we using the word of God as our filter? And I think that can just get really cloudy sometimes of we're told stories that actually don't sound that bad. They sound good and it's like, yeah, that actually could be a really great way or it's not inherently evil and letting that start to become a filter rather than the word of God being a filter.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the antidote to the mental maps, to use John Mark Comer's language, that the stories that were told would be the Word of God. And this goes back to, we've done episodes talking about origin stories, to use the big ologies. You know, we get our ontology, our epistemology, our anthropology, our ethics, our eschatology, our sociology through these stories, these kind of source stories. So, if I believe the story, what what what's the prevailing narrative? What's the prevailing story about human origins today?
2: I mean, the the common story is just like the Big Bang theory. I mean, there's I don't remember growing up and being taught about the Big Bang theory. I think there was like along the way that was mentioned. I think something that I was taught was the theory of evolution. I mean, that was something right. that was taught. That's how we came to be. And so, basically where I'm at now is like, okay, I've been taught about the theory of evolution. And now the narrative that I'm told is like, okay, now live your truth and like live, like this is, this life is for you. Like, what can you make it? I mean, I was, I hate to do this to Emmanuel Acho, but I'm reading his book, Illogical. It's a great guy. He's a great guy, but he uses language like your truth and subscribe to your own meaning of what is beautiful and what is you know right and good so i'm not trying to knock him but i was when i was reading that i was like man that that feels like a red flag to me because of the biblical worldview that i have but it's just like interesting that like okay we came from nothing okay but since we're here let's just make it about ourselves it's kind of like what i feel like is being taught to me taught to our generation Yeah.
0: Yeah. And even what you said there with like, you don't remember explicitly being taught about the Big Bang, but it's, it's so pervasive today that it's become an assumption. It's just a cultural assumption and it doesn't need to be taught explicitly anymore. It's an implicit assumption. It's the water that we're swimming in. But then you play that out logically and you have massive implications. If that is the origin story, if we're here and the language we've used in the past as the product of time, chance and chemistry. Then, you know, what does that mean for our ethics and our morality? Well, yeah, be true to yourself, live your truth, which is more of a Western expression of that expressive individualism that Carl Truman talks about, be very different in the East. But yeah, that, that influences your ethics and your morality, that, that influences your anthropology. What What is sexuality in that case? You know, if we are descendant of primates, if we're just another branch in the tree of life that's not any fundamentally different than a sea star or a sponge then that has massive implications for how we think about human sexuality and so on. And so yet origin stories, the stories, the narratives that we believe are unbelievably powerfully shaping in our lives. And the antidote, like to your point, destiny, the scriptures tell a very different origin story that lead to very different implications and conclusions. C.S. Lewis was very adamant about being thoughtful people. And if we are atheists, be thoughtful atheists and carry out your beliefs to their logical conclusions. I am not a, a fan of Peter Singer's work. I think he's at Princeton. But what I do appreciate about Singer is that he is a thoughtful atheist who carries the logical implications of his beliefs, which atheism is, is a set of beliefs uh, about the world. He carries them out to their logical conclusions, like post-birth abortion and so on and so forth. Again, I I radically differ from his conclusions, but I do appreciate his thoughtfulness and his honesty. And likewise, for believers, if we really believe that the Bible is, uh, uh, it makes truth claims, then the implications for that are massive and need to shape uh, our view of reality.
1: I think anytime we bring up the phrase "live your truth," I just like start laughing. Sorry, I know we're going back to this, but if you, I think just like you're saying, like if you play it out, it's so outrageous and I realize it's a very unpopular opinion with our generation specifically but like why do I think I can set my own truth like I can't even decide what I want for lunch some days so it's gonna shift all the time so it's like I think if you play it out and I'm living my truth like I'm actually never really getting to a specific outcome because it's always gonna change so it's like as believers we need the word of God to set the truth but also it's like that's the one place of stability that we can give people. Of this is, if we have actual concrete truth, you don't have to be swirling around all the time and shifting because you're not actually trying to set anything.
0: Yeah, and to play that out even further, one of the fundamental flaws to that philosophy, live your truth, is what happens when my truth is at odds with your truth. Who is there to arbitrate? And what are notions of goodness and? Those become very subjective uh, and you have kind of majority rule when it comes to setting the agenda and the narrative, which is why there are so few things that are pre-political today because they affect our lives and you have to have a, a source of arbitration. And so if, if one group is saying this is immoral and another group says it's moral— then the whole philosophy of live your truth uh, becomes problematic. And so you have to control the narrative.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was just going to add, because when I mentioned Emmanuel Acho, I w- he would claim to be a Bible-believing Christian, uh, but he's using language like this. And he you know, was speaking at UT's graduation this past weekend and gave like 6,500 books out for free. So this is a man who proclaims the gospel but uses language like that, which I feel is like, Man, that's conflicting to me because I could be that Gen Zer who's like, yeah, like I support this man and he's like really great. And I think he is great. I think that he's doing great things. But what the conflict that I'm seeing is like you have this, like like you said, like the Bible makes truth claims and that's counter to the sentiment that we should be living our truth. And when Christians, Bible-believing believers who are, who have platforms use language like that. I I feel like it's a little dangerous because how do I get, most of us are getting discipled by social media anyways, you know? And and I think that just goes back to the importance and significance of the local church Mm -hmm. and being like in a community that is preaching and discipling. I think our community does that well. Spiritual formation, and using the appropriate language and steering us back on track.
0: Yeah, yeah. We've used the metaphor before. It's like these two trees have grown up together in our culture, the Judeo-Christian tree and the secular tree, and the branches have become kind of intertwined at the top as secularism has borrowed a lot of the Christian ethic. And I've watched a lot of believers having grown up in the story, in the narrative of the Bible, but then they get up into these branches uh, and sadly, the church isn't addressing certain things. We'll get into this next week. Uh, certain things like social justice issues, may- maybe you know, to the degree to which the church should have been. But groups of people from that come from a more secular worldview are addressing them. and so they they kind of, cross over into these branches unwittingly that are now drawing sap up from a different set of beliefs, a different trunk, a different root system that's embedded deeply in these more subjective kind of, you know, last week we looked at postmodernism and modernism or a couple weeks ago. And it begins to corrupt their mental map, you know, begins to corrupt their, the stories that they are, have been living. And it gets confusing. And then you get, you know, people that kind of wholesale. Jump trees and, and go into the other uh, set of belief systems, or you get people that are just kind of lost in the middle. This regard, and so we would be huge advocates, you know, in this podcast to be biblically formed, and that doesn't mean there aren't complexities there. How you know the the science of hermeneutics and uh, exegesis, like how do we rightly understand the original intent of these of this ancient document? But as a starting point to just advocate for daily formation, and to become students, deep students of the Word, and not just in a devotional sense where we read a, a verse or a chapter a day, but in this day and hour, living you know, in a society that no longer supports and reinforces the biblical worldview that much more is it required of us to be deeply thoughtful, meditative believers when it comes to the scriptures to rightly orient our mental maps when it comes to origin stories and what it means to be human and so on and so forth. Okay. So that's the antidote to the mental, the stories, the narratives. What about you just mentioned it, Fadi, but you know, the people in our lives who have a powerfully shaping influence, where do we need to be conscious of, of that fact?
2: I think I was talking to you about this at the staff retreat a couple of weeks ago, but the importance of being in a community, because when I think about living my life, I have such a linear perspective. Like I, I can't see outside of myself. I mean, there are moments where I'm like self aware and I realize, hey, that behavior is actually not really productive and it's not helpful. But to have people around you who are proactively seeing the way you live your life on a daily basis and have given you feedback has changed my life tremendously because it's not my own anymore it's like hey like i'm subject to what my community is saying or thinking about me and it just carries a lot of weight that carries it takes a lot of weight off of my shoulders but we're able to carry more weight as a community when we when we do that and it helps with blind spots like if i wake up in the morning and i read a tweet that i feel like might be good it might be true but if it's counter bible or if it's counter the things that i like hold tight to or believe in, my community can help fact check that when I'm feeling a certain way and when I'm not thinking super straight, you know? Yeah.
0: When your truth becomes opposed to the truth, you have people who can call you back into the way Mm -hmm. there's an objective truth outside of yourself and in your own lived experience, you get your orientation gets skewed a little bit and it takes people um, to call you back into that.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Like it, it feels like life is like a maze and we think that God is the only person that can see outside of us. But the reality is, is like, you can invite people to sit up there to help guide you through the maze when you can't necessarily see where you're going. They get you out safely is uh, my experience, especially the last, you know, six to 12 months of my life.
0: Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're in a hyper individualistic society. It's another theme of this podcast and. The idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is not a popular thought today but a critical one for you know the, the tradition of the church if we look at church history if we look at the scriptures this notion of I am not my own I, I've been bought with a price I belong to Christ but then I also belong to the body that whole theme from first Corinthians 12 through 14 that the hand can't say the foot or the you know the, the nose to the eye and so on and so forth that I have no need of you like we need each other. God has not made us codependent, but interdependent. We need one another in order to experience the fullness of God, in order to help keep us in check, and to spur us on, and to exhort us, and so on and so forth. So yes, So that's why we've advocated, and I won't belabor this, because we've done several episodes on pressing into the body of Christ, pressing into the church, not drawing away, uh, becoming isolated. That is a recipe for disaster when it comes to spiritual formation okay so we've got the body of christ as a key we've got being being biblically formed as a key Uh, when we talk about our environment this one's a little trickier and you may not get there just linearly but um you know the environment in which we grow up in and that can't be helped a lot obviously we are in i mean we could become monastics desert fathers and you know really pull away from our environments but god does give us a key to be within uh, basically to create an environment within an environment and this is one i think that the protestant church could really grow in especially in the west because we've been so influenced by naturalistic or materialistic uh, thinking that there's nothing supernatural outside of us but what comes to mind when i talk about kind of creating almost like an aura around you or walking in a, a different environment that i can take an environment with me into any environment
1: um, walking in the holy spirit absolutely. that's actually creating the environment around us rather than being affected by the outside environment
0: yeah and so destiny what does that mean for you
1: yeah i think just wanting to walk out aware of what the holy spirit is doing and it's not meaning these big charismatic outward expressions but literally am i being sensitive to the holy spirit in conversations and it's that internal like twinge twinge tinge of like oh i shouldn't have said that or oh this is actually how i need to respond and letting. Letting the promptings of the Holy Spirit actually dictate how – or dictate my actions and where I go and things that I engage in and those kinds of things. And I think it comes from, man, I want my heart to be so pure and undistracted so that I can be aware and be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit.
0: 100%. Yeah, so – we, again, are uh, humanistic in that if it's going to be accomplished, I have to do it by my own power, which comes from, a, again, more of a naturalistic worldview, an atheistic worldview, that there's nothing outside of me. You know, At the end of the day, I'm on my own and I need to make my way in the world. I think more Christians are influenced by that than we care to realize. I am deeply influenced by that strain of thinking. And so the antidote is that we are dependent creatures and that God has given us a source of power outside of ourselves. And we don't even realize the bank, the resource of power that we have to reform our habits, to, to change our thinking, to influence our relationships, to become people of the fruit of the spirit you know, within, our, within our homes, to be joyful and peaceful and loving, to be patient and kind and good and so on. But we are invited into this different environment to walk in a consciousness, an ever present consciousness of the abiding, indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to reshape our environment. And then the last one of this kind of set of shaping influences, I just talked about habits, you know, as that fourth piece that is powerfully uh, formative. So within the Christian tradition and experience, what would be the antidote to reforming our habits?
2: I think, I mean, as you were talking to us, I was just thinking about what does intimacy with the Holy Spirit do? Like, what's the byproduct of that? And I feel like conviction and discernment is a byproduct of intimacy with God, just like diligently seeking out time to realign my convictions and my thoughts. Because when I wake up in the morning, I'm already off. Like I am not, you know, I'm not Christian. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like it. <laughs> yes, uh, <exactly. laughs> and I, I think like, yeah, just like being really intentional about uh, realigning to the things that you choose to believe in because there is a tug of war happening between the believer and the secular world. And yeah, I think the goal is to, to not lose that, you know, and we're not the ones pulling most of the weight anyways. And so finding time to spend with God, your behavior greatly benefits from that because your conviction and discernment, I just believe is a byproduct of it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, 100%. What you're describing are the spiritual disciplines, which is what I was looking for there. That was the leading question to get to spiritual disciplines. But you're you're hitting the nail on the head. That's the time and the diligence that, again, is not a popular message for believers today. Uh, and there's a whole... I've actually been greatly uh, encouraged by the Orthodox tradition in this regard, though I disagree with some of the finer points of their soteriology when it comes to the mechanism of salvation and... And the church's role in that. But I do agree with some of their critique of Protestantism, where Protestantism focuses on salvation as this one-time experience in the past, almost like fire insurance. And then once I'm saved, great, I can just continue living however I want to live. But the will of God is that we were actually formed into the image of Jesus. So the day of salvation is just the beginning. It's just the, the new birth that then there's this process of being formed diligently into the image of God, which requires discipline. And that is not a popular message. Uh, Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline is a classic, a modern classic in that regard. And I love that Comer basically rewrote Celebration of Discipline, but disguised as a book that was uh, you know, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It definitely appeals more to a modern audience. But as I read that and got halfway through, I was like, ah, I see what he's doing here. But just calling the church back to these ancient practices and these spiritual disciplines to reform our habits, because we are not going to just naturally get there. Because of how pervasive, again, the messages and the the water that we're swimming in is so powerfully shaping and influential, if we are not diligent and conscientious about forming our convictions and learning to walk in the Holy Spirit, being biblically formed, developing and cultivating a lifestyle of prayer, of solitude, silence, and simplicity, and so on, then we are going to be shaped by these other more powerful influences outside of ourselves. Drew says it uh, frequently that, you know, we, especially in our Context here, we talk about changing the world, but we are much more likely to be changed by the world. So those are the four, what Dallas Willard would call the means by which we sustain spiritual formation, godly community, the Holy Spirit, dependence on the Holy Spirit, biblical formation, and the spiritual disciplines. The other three, I said this is the seven keys to spiritual formation. Just very briefly, the other three are actually first and foremost is an ever-increasing vision of Jesus and his kingdom. I didn't start there because I believe those four means sustain an ever-increasing vision of Jesus and his kingdom. It's not, that's why we're not Pharisees. We are disciples of Jesus. We believe that he rose again from the dead and is alive and well and is returning for his bride. And that's a audacious claim. It sounds crazy to analytical thinkers, but... The belief is Jesus physically rose from the dead and will return. And he is the centerpiece of our belief system. He's the centerpiece of reality. So if we lose a vision of Jesus and we're just going through kind of rote religious traditions, then we won't be sustained in our in our faith and in our growth because there's just simply too much that glistens in this world to to distract our affections and to draw our attention away. So a vision of Jesus. Uh, submission to God is the second one, really. So if you look at Dallas Willard's work, he has the VIM model, vision, intention, and means. The vision is Jesus. The intention is the set of the will to follow Jesus, but our will will only go so far, which is why we then need the means to sustain that, which is what we've been talking about. And then I would add a seventh. So if you have a vision of Jesus, the intention of the will, the four that we've spoken of, I would add a seventh, and that is a lifestyle of mission, a missional lifestyle. I, I believe as i would the scriptures that this is formative as well, that in a very self-serving culture where the self is king, the self is God, that actually intentionally serving someone else's vision, getting behind someone else and advocating for their growth, their benefit without any expectation of return is actually a, a deeply formative part of our lives. Uh, You see this in Isaiah 58 that as we seek the welfare of, you know, the unfortunate, that our own healing will come, our own light will dawn, and the opposite uh, narrative is being told today that you're to, you know, self-preservation, self-protection, self-fulfillment, self-actualization. Actually, it's giving away of the self in in the kingdom. That is what is formative. So, so those are the seven keys of spiritual formation. The reason. Wanted to go over those today was not to preach a sermon, but to call us our listeners back to being conscientious about what is forming us. I think we are very, very naive to that fact, and can you know, you gave a very lighthearted example, Fadi, of the skincare treatment. But you know, you take that a couple steps further. You know, that was a belief about how to care for your skin. But you talk about a belief on how to do relationships, how to raise children, how to engage in politics what it means to live a good life. And you watch one TikTok video that then sets the course for how you think about those things. And most people do that subconsciously. It's not a conscientious choice. And that is shipwrecking so many people's faith. And so I think we would just call the body back to being cognizant and conscientious of that fact. And uh, thank you, Fadi. Thank you, Destiny, for your time. And thank you as a listener for tuning in as always. And we'll catch you next week on Ideology.